0: Welcome back to another live episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. It's been a while. Paul Fritschner, Rick Browning, with you. And Rick, I have uh, power. I have Wi-Fi, at least for now, but I am not at the house. I am, uh, I'm in a little podcasting bunker up here in Westchester. So for now, at least, we're good to go. But uh, it's good to be with you, Rick. It's good to be talking some basketball again. It's June, but we're firing up some basketball content. And before we get into the basketball stuff, I mean – the wedding, the honeymoon, everything. How was it? Kind of give the people a little update on, uh, on the last two months of Rick Roaring's life.
1: It was good. Uh, everything went smoothly. And uh, I, I obviously appreciate everybody being patient while I was, you know, moving and traveling and doing all of that. But yeah, I'm back. I was at team camp this past weekend. I've been at a couple different high school events this week. So I'm ready to get back into basketball mode and like I said, I appreciate everybody being patient. We got a lot of new subscribers on the site too. So I think they'll really get a full taste of what's about to happen here on musketeerreport.com over the next couple weeks and months as we get into the beginning of the Sean Miller era round two, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. but, you know, speaking of that, Paul, what, I mean, you got to host the first Sean Miller show since he's been back. That was, a that had to be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it was fantastic. I I got a call from Tom Eiser about a month ago, uh, and he said Byron was going to be on vacation. He asked me if I was open to it. Obviously, open and willing, and and able, and uh, excited to be able to do that. Glad they asked me to fill in. Joe Sunderman is the best of the best. Uh, we went over some stuff to talk about. It was great. I thought the turnout at Dilly uh, was fantastic. They sold out. Uh, I think. We I saw on the message board it's like 120 people that they that they had seated, but I didn't see an open seat anywhere. The bar was full. Everything and the crowd was really into it, and it was funny looking at Twitter, looking at the mentions of the people that didn't know that it was coming, and all of a sudden, oh, you got live basketball content in June. It was like what we were talking about on the message board today. It's like, what what do you have to do to get the live basketball content in June? And that's that's what I think. Outside of the specifics, which we can get into a little bit more about what Sean talked about with the team and some things that he's seeing already. I thought that his preliminary comment of I'm back here in Cincinnati and I see how much basketball means. And that's not to say it doesn't mean a lot in Arizona, but that we're sitting here doing a show on June 9th about college basketball is a testament to how much people care. And, and I thought that kind of underscored the whole thing. So it was a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of you that might be listening right now were, uh, were there And I really enjoyed talking to a lot of you about that. So, uh, yeah, it it, it was a fun night.
1: Speaking of that, we've got to start with kind of off the beaten path here. The guy who got up and said Sean was looking like an absolute snack tonight. (laughs) What was your reaction in the moment? What was going on? Like, that was – that listening back on the podcast, that seemed like a wild moment. But you guys didn't really react much.
0: Well, so – In the break, so usually like during a coach's show, you'd take phone calls, but because we were doing it there and we had such a big crowd, we had the microphone connected that you could come up and ask a question if you want. We didn't advertise that, but some people clearly that had been around the block and knew the show came up like in commercial breaks and were saying, hey, uh, would it be possible to ask a question? So I think we took two or three, but in that last break, uh, we were told, I think we had like three minutes coming out of that last break before the show was over. And whoever the fan was, he came up. He was like, hey, Sean, can I ask a question on whether you're willing and able to schedule Dayton again? And he, he kind of we laughed about it in the commercial break. And we thought that was just kind of going to be it. And then we were like, well, you know, if you ask it quick, we can just like make quick work of it and keep going. Because, I mean, that's something that people obviously care about. And a lot of people in the listening area would like to know about Dayton and Xavier So we were under the impression that he was going to bring us out of commercial, just say, would you be willing to schedule Dayton again? And we were going to move on because Joe and I both had a couple of questions left. And then my man just – I mean, he had his moment to shine, Rick, and and he didn't let it slip.
1: (laughs) I mean, you look like an absolute snack tonight was not what I was expecting to hear out of the first question. It
0: wasn't what I was expecting either.
1: All right. um, (laughs) Let's get into – Some of the interesting things that Sean said and the the first thing or the the biggest thing that stood out to me was when he was talking about the styles of play and what he's looking to do. And we've heard him talk about he thinks it's it's ideal to play faster uh, in today's era of college basketball. But that was something that I thought he really drove home during this interview with you guys. And a lot of coaches say they want to play fast when they first get a job. I take Sean Miller saying that and the things he's saying along with it a little bit differently than I typically do when I hear a new coach get a job and say, Oh, we want to play up tempo. We want to play a fun style of basketball. Like Sean Miller is coming at this from the perspective of a guy who has coached been at the pinnacle of the sport for, you know, over a decade. He had his year off. He sat out, he really evaluated things. And now he really wants to do things his way. And continuously he keeps mentioning I think you need to play fast in today's era of college basketball. And once again, when he was talking to you guys, he brought that up. Yeah, I
0: thought that was – and and the, the thing that went off of that too was the three-point shooting, which we can get into more of. But I think that whole fast style of play – and I think that was something that you can take some, some semblance of that he, he looked at through this year off. And you look at the landscape of college basketball right now, and I thought the other interesting thing that he mentioned about playing fast was playing fast in this conference and in the Big East. You look at a team like Villanova, now granted Jay Wright's not there anymore, but you look at a team like Villanova that plays so slow. They play methodical. They value every possession as much as they do. Playing that really fast, up-tempo style of offense is something we haven't seen out of Xavier in a while. And I thought for the conference, and you look at some of these styles, you look at St. John's that plays really fast, and you've got some talent now moving in with St. John's, you know, Curbelo, David Jones, some more names that might fit into that style with Mike, Mike Anderson a little bit more that you play faster, you, you, you don't slow things down and just drag it out and it feels like so much work. It, it always, to me, Rick, in, in the last few years, it always just felt like getting every basket was so much work. It took so much effort just to score from the field. And I think that getting out in transition, playing faster might help that a little bit more. I, I don't know if you see it the same way, but that's just kind of how I see it in my eyes.
1: Yeah, I would agree. But then, of course, you get into that conversation and you put that up against this year's roster specifically, and you get into the question that you brought up later on, which is, how do you see Jack Nungy and Zach Freeman all working out together? Like, do, you, do you play them both together a lot? Or if you want to play up-tempo, do you have to play a smaller lineup and figure out how to stagger those guys more? And obviously that's something they'll figure out as they go. We're not to that point yet. And I don't expect him to have a great answer for this, but you know, he, he goes right back into the, well, if you're a good coach, you got to be able to play your best five players together as much as yeah. possible. So um, it, it, there's definitely going to be some decisions that have to be made and some strategizing that's going to go on. I think that was something that we saw a lot last year that kind of, um, I don't know if it was ever quite figured out until we've really got into that NIT stretch where, uh, Colby Jones just kind of took over and uh, everything else fell into place. So I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with that necessarily, other than I just thought it was kind of interesting to hear Sean's opinions on it. And it sounds like in many ways, because the roster is going to be so similar again this year, we're probably going to be talking about a lot of the same lineup situations and strategies.
0: I really liked how confident he was in the ability of the three newcomers with Boom and Kraft and Desmond Claude. That he really felt like and he emphasized and he talked, in fact, he made sure in the break because we went to a commercial and we hadn't gotten to those three guys yet. And he told us in commercial, hey, I want to come out of the break and talk to the talk about these guys. And he, he emphasized while we were sitting there chit-chatting how important of a role these guys were gonna play. And then he expanded on that and told the whole audience about that coming out of the out of the break. And I think it really shows the value of what these three guys can do. Now we talk a lot. You know, I mean, everybody that's listening to this and, and that's on the message board remembers, what you know, the freshman Kiki Tandy, like what was going to happen there. And I mean, he had a great freshman season and all that, but like he was hurt. And then all of a sudden he was going to come in and save the season. Like, I, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is he seemed, he seemed much more confident than lip service in Cam and Des and Sule's ability to come in and make an impact on day one.
1: Yeah. Suley Boom was the one that really stood out to me as comments about him. He talked about him needing to add some weight, maybe and the fact that he's going to be a little slight of stature for the big East. But he also mentioned that he's more of a combo guard than he is a point guard. And then he said after that, but that might be better in the way today's game is played 2022. And I just took that to kind of mean like that. Sean seems pretty interested in having a point guard that can shoot and score the basketball. And that I think that Personally, I think that's important too. Like people always talk about true point guard, like you need to having a true point guard. As long as the guy can handle the ball and get you into your offense, I'd much rather have the guy that can score 20 a game. Like give me an yeah. RJ Cole type point guard who can, who can just go out and win a game for you by hitting step back threes. I'm interested in having that guy. And that's kind of how I took Sean's comments about that as well.
0: Yeah. So looking around the rest of the roster, Um, I I would say right now, Rick, unless you know something that I don't, it's pretty much set, right? I mean, they have an open spot if they want it, but I don't, do you see them adding anything else now at this point?
1: No, I mean, again, I always say like coaches aren't going to stop recruiting. So when I say the roster is pretty much set, that's with the caveat that like, if new opportunities present themselves, or if, uh, an overseas kid that we're not aware of. They're still working on out there. It's a possibility that someone could still be added. But at the same time, they're happy with what they have. They're set. They're not like just going out to grab anybody right now that makes themselves available because they feel like they need another body. For most part, I would say this is the roster that's going to be in place at the start of the season.
0: And the one thing I was going to say a second ago about Sule Boom and you talk about the roster being set is how Sean went and identified him and got him. I thought it was a great story about, when he was at arizona and he they played duquesne and he said man you know this guy was really giving us fits and i knew he was going to be able to make an impact at the high major level he became available and that guy was teenage mcconnell and then he said hey look you know we also played this utep team that had this guy sule boom and i knew if he became available that's the kind of player i would want he became available i went and got him i and i thought that was interesting just the way that you know, you talk about coaches in this day and age, in this landscape of all these transfers. How do guys go out and identify guys that they want? How do you how do you narrow down a list when there's a thousand players in the portal right now? And and you look at guys that you competed against, that you played against, that you game planned against, and then went out and had a, game, a good game against you. And it's firsthand knowledge.
1: Well, and the first thing that when you watch Sule Boom's tape is that he got to the free throw line a ton. And that's something that Sean pointed out is that's a a talent or a trait that usually transfers well from level to level. If you're a guy at the high school level who gets to the free throw line all the time, chances are, you're going to be pretty good at it in college. And if you're a guy at a low major school who's going to transfer up to a high major school, chances are, that's one thing that's going to go with you. Rebounding's that way. And usually drawing fouls is another thing that translates pretty well. So that is something when I was watching everything he did at UTEP that I was like, all right, that'll work in the Big East. I don't know if all of this will work in the Big East, but his ability to draw contact and and uh, get calls from the officials, I think he'll still be able to do that. And uh, that's that's very valuable and a guy who's going to be handling the ball a lot, obviously.
0: Uh, I just switched my mic, by the way. Can you still hear me? Oh, your- yeah.
1: You sound great. Yeah. Okay. It's not a, well, oh, some wow. Here, wow. Okay.
0: All yeah. right. Well, that's good. There
1: we go. All right. Uh, you, uh, go through some comments real quick here. Yeah. Sheridan says, nice to see the black V-necks are making an appearance. I mean, it's T-shirt season. This is all I got. I've got one move in T-shirt season. It's a black <laughs> V-neck. That's all I'm doing. Uh, Maloney says, I'm about to set the booth on fire. I appreciate that. I, you noticing the new uh, setup here? I've been tinkering with it. Hope you like it, Maloney. Uh, so this is a permanent setup that you got? This is in my trip. office. Yeah, I've been tinkering. I've moved sides of the room and changed things around a little. Well, bit, I just, so. I'm just
0: i just bummed I can't see your dog now.
1: Yeah, the the... It's over here to the right, the uh, recliner setup. So, oh, all right. Jerome Hunter 2024. Fair enough. I don't know, know where to go with that. Uh, <laughs> who's, Tom, the vice, who's the vice president there, Rick? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Tom Partridge says Have either of you made it to summer workouts practices? Anything the stand out? Uh, you're not allowed to be at these practices, workouts that they have going on right now. They get four hours per week. They're closed off to the media. Uh, it's technically a violation if we were to be there. I mean, I don't know that. Who's going to hold you accountable to that? But moral of the story is no, we haven't. Uh, Charlie says, "Have we seen a correlation between assistant coaches recruiting certain regions?" We'll probably get into that more as we go on. Charlie uh, also Steele is very involved. How does Sean compare to that? We can talk more about that as we go on. But um, yeah, I mean, head coaches are going to be pretty involved, but no one's probably ever going to be as involved as Travis Steele was as a recruiter. I can just tell you right there. So, all right, uh, we were talking about the roster. And yeah. uh, one, of, one of the other guys that Sean had mentioned during the show that I thought was kind of interesting, Paul, was Deontay Miles. Um, this is a guy that every single offseason and preseason, Travis Steele would be talking about how good he looks, talking about he's a potential NBA type talent. Just wait till he puts it together. And, you know, I think after this season, a, a season where we saw Deontay start the first several games, and then kind of completely see his playing time fade away. People kind of just probably got a little bit jaded with that storyline Are like, all right, we, we've heard about that enough. It'll, uh, you know, prove it to me at yeah. this point, uh, before I'm going to be listening to that. But right away, Sean Miller takes this job, has a handful of workouts with this team. And one of the first guys that he's hyping up is Deontay miles. What was your take when you heard his comments about Deontay as you guys were talking about him?
0: Well, I think when you look at Deontay physically and what he brings to the table, it's hard not to be excited about what he can do. Now, there are things that he he just, like, look at last year. You start and then you finish the season, like you said, where you're not playing much. But physically, he's an athlete. He's tall. He has the build to be a, a shot blocker if he... Was able to 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 really acquire that skill set to be a shot blocker, scoring around the rim, a decent rebounder too. He's not the biggest guy, right? I mean, he's not the biggest player on the floor as far as as build goes, but he certainly has the height to be able to do that at the height at the high major level. So the measurables are there for Deontay. He's been in the system now long enough, and it's a new coach, but he's been around the Big East Conference long enough and playing with some of these guys to the point where. He should have some of that experience under his belt, even if it is in practice. I think there is a lot to be said for that. That he's not just the freshman anymore. That with the deer in the headlights look, this is a guy that's been around the block, and it doesn't seem like that because he hasn't seen the court all that much, even though he did start to begin the season last year. So to have, and and I should say, like Travis Steele is not the only person that you would hear hype him up like we heard Travis publicly talk about that a lot but you would hear other people talk about how much they like Deontay and what oh if only he could put it all together if only Deontay was was to where we want him to be well now he has a new coach now he has a new assistant coaching staff a new strength and conditioning coach the whole thing's changed and yet we're still hearing the same thing so now you have to wonder all right the it is it on Deontay to figure things out? Is it on this coaching staff to figure out how to implement him better in the system? I, I don't know which way I lean there, uh, but I, I, it's it's a lot of the same that we're hearing, and it's from a, a new coaching staff and a guy in Sean Miller that you're hoping can develop him into that player that we've been hearing about for the last three and a half, four years.
1: Yeah, and I've never heard a bad word said about Deontay Miles. So I think what you're seeing if through these comments by coaches is that it speaks to the type of guy Deontay is in the locker room. He tries to do everything you're asking him to do. He gives you max effort. You know, he, he loves to be there and he's a, 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 a beat type of guy. But I think the two biggest things for him are the physicality. He just got moved around too easily in the big East, even last year. And then the other thing is just processing things in real time. I think in practice, When you're going over a drill and it's repetitive and he's able to get a hang of it, he's able to show out and do his thing a little bit more. But when he gets into the game and now you're thinking and having to process things a little bit faster, and it's not, no one's telling you, go from point A to point B in this situation. You're not working on something specific. You're having to take all those lessons and drills and practice and apply it to exactly what's happening. I think he's been a little bit slower on that side of things. And that was, I think, where where everyone knew, he had the biggest hill to climb. Like he was just a raw prospect when he came here and he's gotten better. There's no question about that. But I think if he can do those two things to where one, he can handle the physicality a little bit better, hold his position on defense and rebounding because he is a good shot blocker. He does have good shot blocking instincts. And two, if he can process all of, you know, ball screen situations and all these things that you're doing defensively, if he can process that and figure it out in real time, a little bit better. So he's just playing faster because he has the physical attributes to play, move his feet well, run up and down the floor well, but he doesn't play all that fast in reality because, again, I think he's thinking a little bit too much while he's out there on the floor. So if he can put those things together, then I think he can still be productive in an up-tempo style. But, again, I mean, I think most fans are going to tell you, I'll believe it when I see it at this point with him, and I I think that's fair. I mean, you know, it's been three years kind of of us hearing those types of, comments about him in the off season. So I'm interested to see though what he looks like both um, in the preseason practices. And then once we get into actual games, what will he look like under this new coaching staff?
0: So you pitched Deontay to me, I'm going to pitch this one to you, two players we didn't hear about from the coaches show, Kiki and Jerome. Uh I mean, we didn't hear about Elijah Tucker either, but he also has red shirt. He hasn't seen the court yet. Two players that fans that have been asking a lot about Kiki and Jerome. Did you take anything away from him not talking about them?
1: No, I mean, I think it's what I would assume it's for the same reasons. I don't talk about them. I mean, like I don't really factor them into being big yeah. contributors on this team, to be quite honest. Uh, but you know, like I, I don't, I think the coaching staff is going to work with whoever they've got. And obviously they would never tell you that, but yeah, I mean, that would be my takeaway from it. Those aren't guys that I really spend a whole lot of time thinking about, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, what, do you think, Rick, going through the rest of this roster, um, just looking at the turnover, you, you lose a guy in Dewan Odom, but outside of Paul and Nate, you're bringing everybody back. Dewan's the only person you lost. Yeah, so, Ben Stanley, but... So, oh, and ben, yes, Ben Stanley, you're yeah. right, you're right, Ben Stanley. But again, a guy um, that,
1: quite honestly, I just don't, especially after his injury, I just don't think Ben Stanley really had a role at this level.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I, I probably should have clarified that. Nothing against Ben, but more of, of the role-player uh, type player. Uh, Dewan's the only one you you lost, so you bring this new coaching staff in, and everybody has the ability to transfer if they want to, and it's, it's Dewan and it's Ben. Were you surprised by that? Did you think through this process they would lose more, uh, or was this where you thought it was going to end up?
1: Yeah, I think – I definitely expected more turnover, but there's two things going on there. One we were hearing about a lot of guys and who knows how much this was just fan speculation because people were so fed up with the way things had gone and people were really upset with the coaching staff and they kind, of, you know, when people are mad at the coaches they start making up rumors and things like that about players not being happy and they've lost the locker room. So maybe some of it was just that, but I think there were some things being posted online and on the message board from quite honestly people that I would expect to have an idea of what's going on. And there was just a lot more rumor swirling about guys that might want to leave the program. And I don't think we have to go name by name, but everyone heard different rumors about this guy or that guy potentially leaving. So to basically have none of the important pieces leave. I mean, I think Dwan Odom, you could say was a fairly important piece, but I also think we saw where Dwan Odom was at and he had kind of capped his development at Xavier, I think, and in the big East. And it was, he's a bench guy. He's a role player. He's someone you like to have, and he he probably has a little more, more upside than what we've seen out of him to this point, but I don't think he was probably a top five starting guard in the Big East at any point in his career, to be quite honest. So yeah. um, from that perspective, yeah, I don't think you lost a lot of talent that you needed going forward. The other side of things was, I think there needed to be a little bit more roster turnover just because this roster hasn't been good enough to make the NCAA tournament. So while everyone's talking about how much Xavier brings back from last year and percentage of points that they're bringing back and everything, I still look at it and say they couldn't shoot well enough. And this was a team that couldn't make the NCAA tournament last year when they had Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson with them, who was two of their better shooters on the team. So that would still be my big concern, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that as we get closer to the season. But I would have thought the staff would have seen it as they needed – to turn the roster over a little bit more. But I think probably what happened was, one, they got here and, and saw, well, Travis and his staff did a pretty good job of recruiting. It wasn't a bad roster in place, and I don't think this roster was far off from competing. Now, again, I think they needed another piece or two, but I don't think that it was a bad roster by any stretch of the imagination. So I think they were fairly happy with the guys that they had in place when you have a Colby Jones, a Jack Nungee, a Zach Fremantle, an Adam Kunkel. I think you feel pretty good about bringing those pieces back. And then the other thing is you get the job and then even though it's pretty much right after the season had ended, you're you're still a little bit behind the eight ball, especially if you're a guy like Sean Miller who had sat out the last year. So in terms of recruiting and guys that you can bring in and guys who are available, sometimes it might be a situation where they've got more baggage or they're more trouble than what they're really worth in terms of value to their program to your program so i think they probably saw it as we're not going to just reach and take guys for the sake of taking them we want to have a really good locker room and really set the foundation for the way we want to do things going forward we don't want to be just playing with some mercenaries who don't care about our program and what we're trying to establish here and also i think they were probably fairly happy once they got here seeing the guys that they had watching them win the nit and then starting to work with them a little bit
0: yeah, and to back you up, not, again, to mention any specific names or anything, but to back you up on the point about the end of the season, coming out of that week in New York in the NIT Championship, I was fully prepared, not to have a complete roster turnover, but to have a very substantial roster turnover, and I was beyond shocked that DeJuan was the only one. It, it, through that week, Didn't wasn't it like – okay whose turn is it today to announce their decision to come back because it was it was like staggered one guy every day and yeah i and think that's as, a product
1: of one mario mercurio they like to control <laughs> and
0: <health laughs> yeah and and as each day went on and it became obvious by the end of the week that everybody was coming back basically uh it, it i was i was shocked at at not only the names that came back, but just everybody that decided to return. I I was I was very surprised um by that by all of that. But yeah, you know well and and give
1: credit to Sean and his coaching staff for um you know guys like a a Colby Jones, a Zach Freeman or a Jack Dungey who might have had interest in just moving on. They were able to convince those guys you know, Hey, we've got a good plan for you. Come back. And then maybe even like a guy like Deontay Miles we're talking about, he might've been looking at us. Hey, I haven't gotten any playing time yet. Maybe I just need to move down a level or something. And they were able to convince him, no, we've still got a plan for you. You're going to be a part of things here and uh, kept him on board as well. So they did do a good job of keeping this roster intact. Now, again, I think there's arguments to be made that maybe you needed to do more in terms of, to put you, yourself in in place to definitely be an NCAA tournament team next year. Uh, but that's probably not a conversation for right now. That's something we can get into more as, as we go through these things. Um, the uh, the one thing, and you guys talked about this during your show a little bit. I, I think what this definitely says in terms of them being fine with this roster is they believe Colby Jones is the guy. I mean, they believe yeah. Colby Jones will complete that process of going from talented underclassmen to go-to leader as an upperclassman and you know we saw him make that turn at the end of the year going into the NIT last year and we saw what it did for this team they have to get that full time out of him now for an entire season and I think they must feel pretty confident that they can do that
0: well he turned his shooting ability around in the NIT too he just looked like so much more of a complete
1: player during that run yeah playing with confidence on offense was really what it had to do with for the most part, in my opinion, I mean, for most of the year, he, he played hard. He played good defense. He would make an impact as a rebounder. I mean, you don't have to question the motor that he's playing with or his IQ or anything like that, but he was not aggressive enough. I was going to say
0: aggressive, man. He just got to, at some point, just got to step up and be aggressive.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really the thing we saw him. And and in a lot of ways he was forced into that role during the NIT, right? Paul Scruggs is gone. You're going to be our point guard for a lot of this. And all of a sudden, you just have to do it because you don't have any other options. He has to play that way all the time coming back this year, or I don't think it'll be a very successful season for Xavier. But I think the coaching staff is well aware of that. And I think part of them not feeling like they needed to go out and get another guard or two was their confidence in him being able to finish off that transformation into being a go-to leader.
0: Yeah. Uh, Before we get into the coaching staff here, Rick, side storyline, I did just get a note that at my house, the power company is en route to fix the problem. So we'll see.
1: Uh, And maybe this just, I mean, it does, it says how soft I am, but like I was talking to you earlier today and I couldn't get it through my head what I would do if I was without power for over 24 hours in 2022. Like that seems like a really bad fate in this day and age.
0: Well, yeah. So, so it was like what five forty-five last night, and we lost it. I was I was in the middle of watching the UConn Super Regional game, lost it, and then it like we lose power. The weird, it's the weirdest thing. My neighborhood where I am, my side of the street loses power all the time, all the time loses power, and the other side of the street never loses it. It's bizarre. I don't know why it happens, but it's happened forever. It always loses power. And so I just thought, okay, like, you know, we lost it high winds, They'll get it back, whatever. And then like half hour later, saw like a hundred thousand people were out of power. 166,000, I think was the peak of it. So then around like nine thirty last night, I was debating going to a bar to watch the finals game. And I was like, no, I'll just flip on a radio, sit down on the porch, have a beer, listen to the game. I listened to the Reds game. I went to bed. I slept downstairs cause it was cooler. And I woke up and I was like, okay, it's like a hundred degrees uh the portable charger is dead my phone is like at 50 percent. let's try and uh figure something out here and we went through the day and and then uh came up here to a to one of my family's places up here um but uh yeah it was it was not great and i <laughs> one of my other friends from the from the east side texted me he got it back at like 3 a.m but yeah as of as of uh eight twenty two, my house is still out so not ideal. That's that's twenty twenty, just about twenty eight hours. Yeah,
1: that's uh, tough. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of problems I would have if I had to go for over twenty four hours without power. Yeah, let's get into a couple questions here. We got in the comments. Matt says, "Does the incoming shooting outweigh the shooting that left?" Particularly with Nate Johnson. Uh, well, that was one thing that Sean talked about a lot was Cam Craft and how high they are on him and his ability to shoot. And I think he said. You know, he threw Brad Redford out there as well, but he threw Cam Craft out there as potentially the best shooter that he's coached, at least at this stage as a freshman. Um, so I do not know that they've replaced the shooting that they lost from last year. When you think about a super senior in Nate Johnson, a super senior in Paul Scruggs, who may not have shot the best percentage, but at the end of the day was still a guy that you felt you could trust to, to make a three-pointer. Um, I think Cam Craft is going to be able to shoot, no doubt about it. Sule Boom can shoot. Uh Desmond Claude I think that's something that remains to be seen with his game. I'm not expecting a lot out of him as a three-point shooter as a freshman. So, um did they do enough to replace three-point shooting? Maybe, maybe with those two guys, Boom and Kraft, you've got enough to replace Johnson and Scruggs. The problem was last year's three-point shooting wasn't enough. Like they weren't a great three-point shooting team. So, you know, you might have done enough to replace what you lost, but I don't know if you added enough to really become a good shooting team.
0: Well, I got two points there. And part of it is one, like you talked about the, the three point shooting team and how you take those shots. Sean talked a lot about that. The three point shots that you take and, and how they get those shots, how they develop those shots on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe under Sean's system, maybe it. Cre- now, as I say that I'm backtracking in my head because you think back to this past year, how many wide open shots from three did Xavier miss? Like, it's not like they weren't open. Good looks. Sometimes they were forced. And sometimes you and I would get home after a game and start scratching our head. But like, there were a lot of really high quality shots and I don't want to knock Travis's system on that.
1: Where I think that really comes into play is each of the last two seasons. There's been a guy who just could not make a three pointer to save their life. And yet I mean, opposing teams would just not guard them. Jason Carter and Jerome Hunter, back-to-back years at the forward position. Teams just completely quit guarding them, took their defender, put them in the lane, add another body to crowd the paint. And yet those guys continued to have games where they'd go 0 for 4, 0 for 6, 1 for 5. Those are the types of things that I think Sean's probably talking about more than anything. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's looking directly at what Travis did and saying he's going to do it differently. But I think when... You say what's going to change in terms of shot selection, because you're right. Xavier got plenty of really good, wide open three-point looks that they just didn't make for whatever reason the last two years. Part of that's because I don't think they had good enough shooters. I don't know if that's going to change under Sean Miller, but I do think you're not going to have a guy who just cannot make a shot and is shooting 17% for over half the year from three-point range, still having games where he goes 0 for 4 from 3. He's not going to get that type of green light under Sean Miller. At least that's the way I took his comments during the coach's show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say was going back to what I said earlier of how fast a guy like Cam Craft can contribute. Can he come out here in the first couple of months and get his feet wet before Big East play and get himself set into the system like that? Or is it going to be a, a slow grind of a process? He doesn't seem like a player that's going to go through that grind, but he's a freshman. He's going to he's gonna be somebody that needs time to adjust. Can he get that in before uh, before Big East play? And And I will say, you know, I see a uh, a uh, question here about the non-conference schedule. Um, you know, there are plenty of opportunities in this non-conference schedule to get yourself adjusted to high major, high major play. I think they did a pretty good job.
1: Yeah, and we can talk about that. Sheridan said the non-conference schedule is just about set. Do you think Mario and company did a nice job making sure Sean wouldn't miss any pivotal early season games? Well, here's the problem with that. We don't know where Sean, how long his suspension is, when it's going to start. Like, we also you know, don't
0: know when they're going to impose it.
1: Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they, they, they might say they might go through the hearing this summer, but not put that. It might not hand down his suspension until sometime during the season for all we
0: know. Yeah, that so, could, like, and, and that, that could very well happen. Like, let me make that clear. Like that, that could happen. So right, we don't, we f- just don't even know when it's going to get handed down.
1: Right, so I don't know that that was really a huge... Fa- I mean, I'm sure Mario thought about it and tried to do the best he could with what information he has, but as far as I know, they really have no idea how this is going to play itself out in terms of the suspension, how long it's going to be, when it might be imposed, and when he might have to sit. So, uh, yeah, I I don't... To answer your question, we really have no idea at this point. But, um, you know, the, the biggest thing to me about the non-conference schedule is we got word about the Big East, Big 12 matchup with West Virginia and Bob Huggins coming to the Cintas Center. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I'm a little surprised Xavier fans weren't more excited about that, especially on the message board. People were like, kind of like, oh, West Virginia is not that good. And it's like, well, okay. I, they're not great, but it's one, it's still West Virginia. It's still a big 12 team. I don't think that's anything to be upset about. And then two, it's Bob Huggins coming back to the Cintas Center with Sean Miller. As a coach. How do you not enjoy that as a basketball fan? Like that's just great theater you think that
0: he brings the team in early how, wait no let me backtrack how pissed do you think he is that the game got moved up a day that he gets gypped out of one more night at montgomery Inn? <laughs>
1: yeah well i mean that's the thing you see huggins back here all the time like i know skinny always tells the the story of um he was running into the liquor store over there on buttermilk pike and ran into <laughs> hugs there this was just like two years ago and he's like what are you doing here he's like i'm recruiting i was like there isn't a there's a prospect (laughs) in this area that was worth recruiting for West Virginia at that time. But, you know, so he's been back in this area a lot. Uh, You're right. He definitely loves hanging out here. I'm sure he'll hit the Holy grail uh, with his boys and who knows what else, but you're right. He's probably rather have an extra day. Yeah. Uh,
0: But, but yeah, you look around at the rest of the non-conference schedule, it's uh, Morgan state, Montana, Southern Fairfield, UC West Virginia. uh, And then the Gavit game, which hadn't, hasn't been announced. PK eighty five is thrown in there too, which has a loaded field. Maybe Maui might be the only field that's better than PK eighty five, but boy, PK eighty five's got sixteen really good teams in that field. Two brackets of eight. Xavier will only play their bracket. There's no like crossover championship game or anything like that. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think I think the non conference schedule is great. And it's still pending one one team, but it, I'm sure it'll be a bye game. I, I guess I shouldn't say that for sure, but. I don't know. I can't see. I can't see it being a high major team.
1: Yeah, I know some guys have asked about recruiting. We'll get into some recruiting talk here in a second. We'll bring up those questions when that happens. Um, I did see from our guy John. He says, "Will you be interviewing Boston College legend Ryan Anderson?" Actually, I did just meet Ryan Anderson. That's the new director of scouting. Uh, I think player development and scouting, or whatever they're calling it. But he uh, he basically took over the role that Jordan Brooks had on staff last year, uh, which was a new role. For Xavier last season. Um, I just met him over the weekend while at team camp. So kind of interesting in that he's a West Coast guy. He went to college at Boston College, so got a little uh, of that East Coast flavor, I guess you'd say, or New England flavor, and then uh, went back to Arizona. So he he was telling me like he's never been in the Midwest really at all. So uh, seeing those high schools and meeting some of the prospects and coaches around here and stuff, all a completely new experience for him. Uh, but he seemed like a really personable guy and I think he'll probably do a, a good job. He I mean, looks like he can still play. I mean, he's a big dude. So um, yeah. Yeah. Had a really good career in college and then uh, was overseas playing pretty well, as I understand it, before he got injured and decided uh, to come back and get into the coaching ranks. So yeah, just met him. I don't know if we'll be interviewing him, John. Uh, maybe we'll ask him to do a podcast at some point. I'll, I'll see how we, what he thinks about that.
0: Sure. Uh, do you want to do recruiting or coaching? Uh, let's talk
1: well, we're talking about Ryan Anderson already. So let's talk about the the rest of the coaching staff a little bit because you and I haven't really talked at all since they got the rest of the staff filled out here. We talked after Sean was hired, but uh since then they've obviously added Adam Cohen from Stanford, they've added David Miller, um, who was really I look at him as a, a Sean Miller guy he was under sean miller's direction for so long he had one year as an assistant coach out at san jose state last season and now he's back with sean miller again so just i think the big thing that look to look at with david miller is that familiarity with sean miller and how much sean miller clearly trusts him to bring him on staff again like that uh, uh, says a lot about him um but yeah what was kind of your thoughts when you saw the names and, and saw where their their background
0: well, I listen to a bunch of podcasts and and there is, if anybody's interested and really wants to get into it, uh, there are a bunch of podcasts that both of uh, the, the new assistant coaches, Dante Jackson obviously retained, but of the new assistant coaches uh, in David Miller uh, and Adam Cohen, both of them have done a lot of podcasts in the last couple of years, just coaches, podcasts, talking about themselves and their career and how they got to where they are. And it, every assistant coach, every coach has, has stories of their journey and everything like that. But it, it really stood out how, how much of a basketball junkie uh, these guys are. And I forget which podcast uh, it was. And I don't even remember. It might have been on the one that you, inter- that you did the interview, Rick. Uh, they were talking about like European basketball uh, the podcast they were listening yeah. to with European ba- and it's Adam like- on
1: yeah when okay, the, I did a yeah. podcast I did a podcast with both of those guys on the same yeah. feed here they're both good yeah they're both Thank really you. good I, yeah. I thought both of those guys did a really good job I was just firing questions at them nonstop <laughs> and they, they kept it yeah. rolling with good answers um but Adam like it, you know it's funny because they're both you can tell like and and when you ask people about both these guys. The thing you get is like crazy work ethic grinder, just like loves ball. He's always in the gym, working with guys, always recruiting, yada, yada, yada. But then you talk to him and it's like both seem pretty personable and like they're super into it, but different guys. Definitely. Like Adam yeah. was the guy who was talking about European pod basketball podcast. Yeah. listened to and like performance podcast. And it's like, you know, seems very kind of uh, Zen like buddhist type mentality (laughs) like a lot going on in his brain really smart guy and like probably keeps to himself a little bit more and, and all that and then like david he's like you know talking about uh the concerts he's gonna go see this summer and stuff like that just seems like a little bit more of uh the guy that you grab a beer with and hang out with um but both guys when you ask other people like that they've worked with or people from other schools that they've they've been around Uh, everyone kind of says the same things about them, which is that just they're total grinders and just obsessed with basketball. And everyone always adds, oh, he'll work out really well with Sean. And And it seems very clear that like Sean is into that now. Like at this stage of his career, it's like, I'm only surrounding myself with people that are like me, that are just like obsessed with basketball and want to do this nonstop.
0: And the one thing that I will say, looking at all the assistant coaches that the Xavier program has hired over the last few years, whether it goes back to Ben Johnson, Jonas Hayes, now David Miller, Adam Cohen, these guys, I feel like the constant theme that we hear every single time one of these guys gets hired is, how did Xavier get this guy? Or how did they get him to leave his current position to come to Xavier? Or I can't believe he left Stanford to come to Xavier. I can't believe he left you know, Georgia, whatever. It's a testament to where Xavier is and and what they've built, I think.
1: Well, that's definitely the case with Adam Cohen in this situation. You know, I mean, David Miller was he's only been on a bench for one year at San Jose State. So I think Sean bringing him in says a lot more about the relationship he has with David Miller and how much he trusts a young coach like him to be like, as soon as I get my first job back in basketball, I want to grab that guy and bring him with me. He, he could have got a lot of other names. Like I heard some of the other names that were talked about for that job. And when you look at their resumes compared to David, you're like, Man, that guy has a ton more experience. So it's to me, that's an exciting thing. If I'm a Xavier fan, it's like Sean clearly thinks something about David Miller. And then he brought him in for that reason with Adam Cohen. It's what you talked about, which is like, a lot of people have made runs at Adam Cohen. I'm talking about teams with big money. You know, I've you know big 12 schools, sec schools that have gone out there and tried to make a run at Adam Cohen and haven't been able to convince him to leave Stanford. So um, why he decided right now was the right time. It's anybody's best guess, but basically what he told us on the podcast was just that he really trusted Sean and he thought it was a great opportunity for him. And uh, he's excited about being in a big East basketball only conference. So, I, I do think that was definitely kind of the takeaway from them adding Adam was like, oh, wow, how did how is Xavier able to get him, which some of that just speaks to what Xavier's paying their assistant coaches. I mean, that's a big reason they were able to bring in Jonas Hayes and Ben Johnson when Travis Steele did it is they paid them good money to come here quite honestly, like we're talking about the same type of money that an SEC school will pay a top assistant. So they're competitive, at least with a couple of those positions. And then, yeah, maybe like the third assistant on the bench might not make quite as much as you would if you were in an SEC school or a big 12 school or something like that. But I think the the donors and everybody that's on the board and the president and athletic director and everybody else have done a good job of trying to keep Xavier as competitive as they can with those assistant coaching pools.
0: Yeah. And the last addition to the staff that we haven't talked about yet. um, Andy Kettler, who is a local guy, St. X grad, but he's also been around the block. He's been at West Virginia. He was at with uh, Chris Mack at Louisville. Now he's here at Xavier and uh, Rick. He is not somebody I have not met the guy, uh, but he does not look like somebody
1: that I would want to uh, irk. Yeah. Well, and I saw a couple of like the, the Louisville guys when he got the, they, they announced the job that he was coming to Xavier and they were like happy for your coach, but feeling sorry for those Xavier kids. <laughs> like, I don't think he's a guy you mess around with. I think uh, he is definitely kind of a drill sergeant from all the feedback I get. but if you're looking to add a strength and conditioning coach and you're like, look, we may not have been as strong or tough as we've needed over the last few years. How do we improve that? The first place I'm looking is the guy who's been doing it for Bob Huggins. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there, i don't think anyone's going to argue about the physicality or toughness of west virginia teams over the last decade so no, yeah. um andy kettler i think was definitely a good addition in that regard but yeah if you if you talk to people like they are super high on andy kettler and uh i know it, this, it, this is the ahead. one Xavier's reach tried to get before like this isn't the first time xavier has looked at him as a possibility
0: I got the biggest laugh and it's to your point. I got the biggest laugh. when if you look at the the tweet announcement of him getting hired and you click on the replies or you click on the quote tweets, it's all of that. It's all the people that have interacted with him over the last 10 years. And it's just, Oh boy, it's, you know, Xavier's, the, those players don't know what they're in for. Yada. It's the same thing over and over and over and over from broadcaster to coach to whoever, it was great. I, I, and, uh, you know, good for Xavier to be able to go out and get a guy like that and, uh, you know, improve the conditioning of the program to make sure that you're not getting to the end of the games where you're worn out, you're tired, you're making mental mistakes because you're tired, things like that. Maybe this could fix something like that.
1: Well, there's something interesting that Sean said about that during the coach's show too, and it's like to, to, uh, to some extent, I think when anything goes wrong with a team – fans then come up with all the theories of like what they need to improve or what their deficiencies are right and like you hear it at a lot of the same programs around the country any program that's struggling you'll hear the same issues and so i think strength and lack of strength and like our guys aren't tough enough or whatever is a pretty common theme when a team loses or they don't they don't have as much success as the fans think they should so how big of an issue that was for Xavier the last few years i'm not entirely sure but i do think to some extent they do not look as physically imposing as some of the other teams that they've played in the big East. So I do think that's something they want to improve, but at the same time you hear Sean Miller on the show he did with you guys. And he was mentioning how much strength and conditioning and the way it's looked at in college basketball has changed over the last even five to 10 years, because it used to be like guys went in and it's how much can you bench press? And he talked, they'd be in there for two and a half hours and they leave without even breaking a sweat. Like, I'm not saying they didn't lift heavy, but it was just a long, slow thing that they went in and tried to throw up as much weight as they possibly could. And now it's much more about you go in, it's high intensity for 40 minutes, you come out drenched in sweat, absolutely dead. And it's a lot more about the stability of your lower body and building up the strength of those types of things as much as you can your upper body and and seeing how long you can play. like Keep your body in peak condition for not only the full 40 minutes of each game that you play. But for over however many years, keep your keep yourself playing in the 30s if you're going to be a professional athlete or something like that. So that is much more the focus now of these strength and conditioning programs at the college level. It's more about like longevity and keeping you safe and building up the stamina and the stability and all of that stuff as opposed to going in and trying to throw up the most bench presses on 230 pounds or whatever and getting your name at the top of the, the list.
0: Yeah. And I told this story back toward the end of the season, but I remember talking to a a former Big East player, a really good Big East player from a few years ago. Uh, I was talking to him at the end of this season um, and he was talking about Xavier and he said, man, when, you know, I, I was asking him his opinion on things and where Xavier was versus when he was playing. And he said, man, you know, when we would walk in and we would play Xavier, we just knew, you know, he goes, I I would look up at those numbers and I would see those bench numbers and he goes, you know, we weren't coming anywhere close to that. Like we knew that we were always playing a big team, a tough team. And, and they just weren't that in the last couple of years. And that's not to say that it, it, it was just a different style I, I think was how they were trying to approach it. But I thought that was very interesting from somebody whose opinion I, I really respected uh, just because of the success he had and, and, playing in the big East against some of those really tough teams.
1: Yeah. But it's funny, right? Because it's like, we all think that, and obviously he's saying that as someone who's played against Dave everything, but then like you talked to Sean Miller just the other night and he's telling yeah. you, but that's not really how we look at things anymore. Yeah. You know, like we're not trying to get guys to the top of that yeah. <laughs> weightlifting belt, uh, chart anymore. So it, it's kind of like, how exactly does that play out? I don't know, but I do know that they went out and got Andy Kettler for a reason. And Andy Kettler's history and what he's done at West Virginia and Louisville and then for the Milwaukee Brewers, I think he was in their organization. Uh, He started out in major league baseball, like his history suggests he's going to get guys (laughs) stronger and they're going to be more physically imposing. So I think there was a reason they went out and got him. And I do think that's something that they'll try to improve going forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's been all over the place. I think he was, uh, yeah, but we can Kettler, he's been all over the place. He's done good jobs everywhere he's been. and, And now he's
1: at Xavier. I think that's, the bottom line there so uh yeah go ahead well i was just gonna say last thing i would say about the coaching staff before we move on is yeah. something that i have heard a lot this off season is how m- the how much the in- investment in the dante jackson has paid off for xavier because i think when travis Steele took over and he went out and he's paid a lot of money to go get jonas hayes and ben johnson then you kind of had this third spot where it's like look obviously you're not gonna be able to spend Big dollars on that third spot when you just shelled out what you did for those two guys and Dante was a guy who was kind of bouncing around at that point hadn't really stuck yet as an assistant coach and I don't think necessarily had the credibility to get that job other than he's a Xavier guy everyone loved him they knew he was going to work hard at it and they trusted him and he gave him that they gave him that chance and you just look at how important this single recruiting class is that they had Dante Jackson for, to bridge the gap between Travis Steele leaving and Sean Miller staying, the fact that he's a former Sean Miller player, Sean Miller knew him, felt he could trust him and keep him on staff, also meant that Xavier kept Cam Craft and Desmond Claude, two guys that Dante Jackson recruited, two highly ranked guys, especially Cam Craft was, in my opinion, a recruit that you just couldn't lose. Like, not only was he ranked highly, but he's exactly what you needed for this incoming class, which was a high-level shooter on the wing, that can really get buckets and probably give you an instant impact type of guy on the offensive end. So I, I've I've heard it a lot this offseason from different people and even guys that are just like not associated with Xavier at all. I'm talking national type guys who are just have made comments about like, man, Dante Jackson's really come into his own and really taken on that role and and really been a, a big deal at Xavier all of a sudden and become a force on the recruiting trail. I just it really says a lot about them. making that decision four years ago to bring him on staff and trust in him. And it's really paid off.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right, Rick, do you want to get into the recruiting now? Let's, let's do it. Let's talk some recruiting.
1: Yeah. I was thinking maybe, you know, obviously I, I I always need to mention this. I forget it. I have a site called musketeer I assume everybody knows that, but like I've heard multiple people that have come up to me that listen to this podcast and have no idea that there is like a site as well. So, (laughs) Musketeerreport.com is where we cover all this stuff regularly. I just posted a hot board, which is basically like the top, I think maybe 11 guys or something that I feel there's mutual interest between both Xavier and them. And, uh, Xavier's really recruiting them hard. So you can go that there, get a quick reference of what schools are recruiting them, what their scouting report is, look at their player profile. I've also posted a lot of nuggets this spring, which include notes insights on all these guys I just posted a bunch of stuff within the last week or so. So I kind of thought with that in mind, maybe you could pose a question or two to me and let me know what things you're confused on or what you want more info on. And then we obviously have a couple of questions here in the comments as well.
0: Uh, Sure. Before we get into that, is there a sale going on right
1: now? I don't, I, I don't it, know. Uh, I it actually about, just ended last night. We end? were gonna oh, okay. do this and I'd be able to promote that last night, but then uh, the, the oh, storm happened bad. and then the, the sale ended at midnight. So there is no one lo- you can get it for 30% off right now, but it's not the 60% off it was last night, but even still uh you know, 30% off for your first month for a dollar isn't bad. And to get and to get Paramount Plus with it if you're into yeah. that. After yeah. the promo's period is over, you get a Paramount Plus subscription as well. So
0: yeah. Um yeah. So as far as recruiting goes, um, I, I do have a couple of questions. If we want to get into the, the chat questions first, we can, since I know a couple of these have been waiting. Um, okay. ha- have we seen a correlation between assistant coaches
1: recruiting certain regions? I, I assume that means like, do we know which areas they're going to recruit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a pretty big footprint. Adam Cohen has recruited guys from all over the place. So I don't know that you can really pin him down to like one or two areas. I think uh, the biggest thing you're seeing is some West coast guys. You're seeing some Texas guys for him. That's kind of a new thing for Xavier. And then uh, he's really got a lot of good ties up in that new England prep school area as well. And that, that goes for Dante Jackson, Dante Jackson's been recruiting that new England prep school area hard too. So those two guys between the two of them, That's kind of put Xavier in a good spot with a lot of that. And when I say New England prep schools, I'm talking about like Putnam Science Academy where they just got Desmond Claude from. I'm talking about Brewster where they've gotten guys like Samaje Christian, Jalen Reynolds, um, Mark Lyons from in the past. Yeah, those types of schools. There's a ton of them up there, but that's like the best prep school league in the in the country. Um, And so it's important to have good contacts up in that New England and New Jersey type area where both Dante Jackson, Adam Cohen have good ties. And then obviously the other new thing, uh, David Miller's recruiting a lot of West Coast guys right now. But the new thing for both Adam Cohen and David Miller is that they're recruiting internationally. And that's a really tough thing for me to cover. And quite honestly, even when I've done things like the hot board and I've reached out to sources to ask about who I might should have on that list in terms of international guys. I've been met with, you probably aren't getting those names because it's one competitive advantage. Like if they were saying that about a kid from Michigan right now, like, Oh, we're not going to give you that name because we don't want other people to know about them. You're like, come on, it's 2022. Any kid that's like even division three. Good has a player profile on multiple sites and has YouTube videos out there. Like you're not hiding kids in America anymore, but in this case with these international kids, a lot of schools aren't putting in the time or even if they are, they just have a very uh, minimal contact list overseas that they can go to for information on these guys to where if they're recruiting a guy overseas, it might be legitimately a guy that they have a competitive advantage over other schools. Other schools don't even know that the guy exists or that he's that level of player or what have you. So that's going to be a new thing for me to cover. I'm going to have to figure out exactly how I'm doing that.
0: I got a quick question and you might not know the answer to this, but I'm curious When you recruit internationally, how much of it is the assistant coaches going over and watching them in person, or is it getting feedback and watching their games on a computer, talking to their like, and and then off of that, if they are going over, how does that affect? Because that's expensive. How does that affect the recruiting budget? Feel free to answer as much or as little of that as as you know about.
1: Yeah. I asked both uh, Adam and uh, David about that on the podcast that I did with them. So you can go back and listen to their answers. They probably answer it better than I can. But my understanding of it is a little bit of all of what you just mentioned. There's a few things that they do have now, like um, NBA, I forget what they call them, but some type of NBA international camps where they bring the best prospects from different countries that you might not normally see. And they bring them all together to the same place and you can watch them play against each other. So those guys are obviously going to be attending things like that to get a feel for some of those guys and and make more contacts and get some initial glances at them. But then it's a lot of what you just mentioned of watching video that gets sent back over to them and, and things like that. So the biggest thing to me about recruiting internationally is you have to put in the time to make the contacts. Like, just like I have over here in America, it's like when I, when there's a new kid in Georgia that Xavier's recruiting, I have three or four different guys that I'm going to call immediately to be like, Hey, what's the deal with this kid? What's his backstory? Who's really in there on him? Why is he just now getting all this interest? Like all that type of stuff. And I get all that information right away. And then I can go try to see him at the next AAU event, what have you. So like, they're going to be doing that same exact thing with international guys. They're going to be calling There are three or four contacts they have in that country getting as much information as they have on a guy. And then they decide, okay, well, he's going to be playing at this event next. I'm going to go see him or I'm going to be able to grab all of his season film from last two years. I'm going to watch all of that to get a better feel for him. So I think that's basically how they go about that for the most part. Um, But again, that's all of this is new to me, too, in a lot of ways, because like Xavier just really hasn't recruited internationally, hardly at all, except for Alexander Vesnikov a couple of years ago when Mac (laughs) almost had him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Troy was asking, is this a focus on EuroCup level guys deep into the depths beyond those players, international U18 teams, Australia, Africa, any any specifics there? I
1: think it remains to be seen. I I think they have some contacts all over the place. And again, some of these things where you have like a camp and they're bringing guys from all over the place to that camp. So it's all types of countries. I think that's where you go and you make context from all those different areas so you know this guy has a handler that brought however many guys over and this guy's the director of recruiting in Zimbabwe and what you know like you're just meeting all these different guys at one event and then you're keeping up with them and so when they have someone that might be worth recruiting they might text you and you get information on that guy and then go view them so I think it could be a lot of these things Uh, And quite honestly, Troy, I don't have like a good enough understanding of a lot of it to give you more specifics than that. But uh, from what I understand, it's pretty all over the place.
0: Uh, Chip just asked a good question. What are the amateur rules regarding international players? Can these guys play professionally and then play college ball over here? I would have answered this a year ago differently than I would have now with NIL. And frankly, I don't know how NIL affects this
1: yeah that's a good point um and he brings that up too oh, doesn't matter anymore yeah. given the nil landscape that's a good point i don't know how much that would change it if at all it, it would seem to change the rules with regards to keeping your amateur status and there's obviously like these club teams where you're basically playing professional level guys but you're not getting paid for it um yeah. and i know guys have come over and played after that so uh to be quite honest with you chip i don't have a full answer yeah. on that. I don't know the details well enough. Um,
0: okay. So to get off of the international recruiting, bring it back, back over here, stateside a little bit. Uh, as far as what Xavier's looking for, what's an ideal 2023 look
1: like for
0: Xavier, Rick?
1: Um, I think that's another thing that remains to be seen to some extent because you could go a lot of ways with this class for one. I think they're going to be, well, I know there are going to be several scholarships open next year and there could be as many as like seven or eight reasonably. Like, I don't think it's out of the question that you have seven or eight scholarships open for next year. Now that doesn't mean they want to use every scholarship and have 13 guys on scholarship at all times, but there's plenty of numbers to work with. If you need them, there's also the fact that the transfer portal has changed this thing so much to where, Okay, it used to be you wanted to know exactly who you had coming in around September or maybe November at the latest prior, you know, for 2023. You'd like to know by this November who's going to be in that class. Well, now, I mean, if you only have one or two guys or no guys committed, you could still add two, three, four guys in the transfer portal season, whether they be transfers or guys decommitting. It just becomes so crazy right after the season ends now in terms of guys changing their status, that it's a little bit different in terms of how early you need to have your class figured out and also how many prep guys you need to lock yourself into. So I think schools like to give themselves more flexibility. So I would say the working number for this class for Xavier is three. I could very easily see them getting like two prep guys and then waiting till the spring Um, But I think they'd probably max out around three prep guys by this fall. And in terms of what positions they could take, it could be almost anything like you could use a point guard for sure. In fact, I think you almost have to have a point guard. You could use another wing. Definitely. You could take a forward and you could use a center probably long-term. So any of those things are on the table. I think point guards probably the most important position right now. Um, But, yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it. 2 to 3 guys, definitely a point guard and then best available from there probably.
0: How does this class of 2023 stack up against other recent classes as far as talent goes? Just in, at at a general pool, like is this a good class that you see coming up?
1: Uh, you know, I used to have a much better feel for that stuff when Snow was doing our national stuff and I talked to him so frequently that I had a better feel for the national rankings in general and what the class looked like nationally um, my overall sense is that it's a, a kind of average to normal class. I don't think it's like overwhelming with top end talent or like it's depth or anything like that. But I mean, there's plenty of guys out there well into the hundreds that, that are definitely intriguing. Talents. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, Rick, I, I know you, like you said, you have everything on the message board and I don't want to get into too many specifics because you, anybody that's listening to this can, can go and read uh, on there. But is anything else uh, that you want to bring up with with recruiting or anything that you've heard or
1: uh, just in general? Um, not particularly. I mean, like, again, it's the, the hot board was up last week, and I think that gives you a good overview of kind of the top names right now. But I think that's going to continue to change pretty quickly because of the circumstances with it being a new staff and Sean was out for a year. And that may not sound like a big deal, but just like you basically think about, okay, you don't go out recruiting for an entire spring or summer. It means all those guys, the last time you would have seen them, if you even knew about them were as sophomores, like rising sophomores to be. So from that perspective, like you haven't seen most of the guys you need to see really at all prior to April, if you're Sean Miller. So he was really just getting a feel for, so yeah, you've watched tape on them. Yeah. You've talked to your sources about them, but you get a much better feel when you can see them in person. And so I think for that reason, even into July now, when there's two more evaluation periods during the month of July, when he gets out there, you'll continue to see Xavier still offering more guys. And there might be a guy who's, we're not even really talking about a whole lot on the message board that could become a priority target as they head into the fall just because some of this is still new they did a really good job during april of just seeing as many guys as they possibly could when they're at events and then just grinding tape on synergy non-stop from these guys high school seasons and the aau events that they weren't able to make it to
0: you talked about dante jackson how big was he in that prospect or in that process of updating them on guys that they were already looking at
1: huge because like you said, he had already laid the groundwork with some of these guys, including some of the top targets, like a Devin Royal, for instance, a guy that we've been talking about a ton. Dante had been recruiting for a while. There's already a lot of groundwork laid. So Dante is able to kind of transition Sean into that saying, hey, here's where we are. Here's you know his family and what they think and what we're telling them and all that type of stuff. Dante was huge in that regard. But then also you got to remember, Sean hasn't been in the Midwest for a long time either. You know He's been out, on the, out in Arizona and out recruiting a lot of the West Coast guys, and his staff is not really from this area. So Dante's the one that, while Dante has recruited a lot in the New Jersey, New York kind of prep area and New England prep area, he's also got a lot of Midwest ties, and he's been recruiting this area and helping Travis with guys in this area. So he's also getting them up to speed on some of the people that they need to meet and high school coaches. Fortunately, Sean, having been here already, knows – some of the high schools, he doesn't know all the coaches now because a lot of those have changed over the last decade plus. But um, Dante was huge in that regard, getting him up to speed and and bridging all those relationships. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right. Well, recruiting-wise, I think that checks all the boxes there. I do see from Scott on the message board had a question. Um, thoughts on Fremantle reaching his potential and regaining his confidence. Also, any idea why why he was missing from the team photo after the NIT title? I feel really bad on that on that one because uh, he was in the picture. He was just hidden behind Ben Stanley. And I didn't even realize that when I took that picture and uh, it it went everywhere. And I had a billion texts and comments and replies of where's Zach. Oh, he doesn't care. Where's Zach. He doesn't. I'm like, well, if you zoom in, you can see him back there behind Ben. He was in the picture. Um, But as far as Zach uh, reaching his potential and regaining his confidence, I mean, maybe a new coaching staff will rebuild some of what he was missing from this year after being injured and missing the whole preseason. But look at what he did his freshman and sophomore year. So hopefully he get back to
1: more of that rather than what we saw this year. Yeah, I think um, definitely the injury set him back. I don't think there's any way it did. And by the end of the year, he was, it wasn't perfect, but he was having more games that looked like the Zach of old, especially on the offensive end, at least where he was finishing around the basket a little bit better. And from that mid range, I think uh, a fresh start is good for him in terms of the new coaching staff. I don't. That's not to say the last staff and him wasn't working or whatever, but I just think Zach is a guy that kind of constantly needs motivation, and I think getting this new staff in place hopefully will will give him a sort of change of scenery without him actually having to leave Xavier, and hopefully that'll kind of get him going again. I still think there's a lot of talent there, but I also think you know he he started out and he was so good offensively so early that we probably overlooked some of his deficiencies on those uh, during those first couple of years. Cause it was like, he's young, he's going to get better at these things. And the problem is in some respects, he's gotten worse. Like in terms of sometimes his defensive effort and things like that, he was worse this past year than he was as a sophomore. So I think that's part of it with Zach is like, we've realized some of his deficiencies and he hasn't really improved those much. And, And to some extent, I think he has some physical limitations, And in others, I think he probably needs to get better at them and figure them out. So hopefully a new coaching staff will help him be able to figure out how to do that. And also just getting healthy again, I do think will be a big deal for him. I think he'll have a much better season this year than he did last year.
0: Sure. Uh, if you are listening right now, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, wherever you are and you're listening, uh, make sure you get your questions in. We just have a couple more things to talk about here, but if you have questions, Rick and I will answer them. So make sure you just comment in. But, uh, the one last thing that you and I had here to talk about, uh, the Big East, Big 12 battle. We talked about Huggins coming back to Xavier already. But looking around the rest of the matchups, there's some good ones. Creighton and Texas on paper probably is the best one that stands out as far as the rankings go. That could easily be a top 10 preseason matchup. But there's a can few. We- yeah.
1: Go, uh, go ahead. Go finish. I'll, I'll come no, back.
0: Because I, I, was, I was just going to do my host thing where I list what? everything else and then we come back. So I'll just go right I was going to gonna
1: say, can we talk about Creighton for a second? Oh, I would love to talk about Creighton for a second, Rick. I don't understand this.
0: Oh, let's let's talk the Creighton Blue Jays for a minute, Rick.
1: Okay, so what's your take on that? Like, I saw some people were having them literally, like, as a top three team in the country uh, a few weeks ago. It seems like everyone's cooled on that a little bit. And now they're, like, just top ten. Um, what's your take on that?
0: Uh, I, I mean, I don't see
1: it. Okay. It, to me, it's, I, I don't, I don't get it at all. Like I do think they're good. And I think they're in contention for being the best team in the big East, but I don't even know, like to me, they're not even clear cut number one in the big East.
0: Well, I mean, i I'm, I'm being bombarded from every corner that you're supposed to take out a championship future on them, which maybe I, there's good value because they're like 15th, I think. But like, I, I don't know, Rick, I, I don't get I, I, like, I'm not trying to bag on them and say they're bad because they're a clear, like top tier of the big East team, but. And, you know, Baylor Shireman, you bring him in and, and you get the transfer, you bring pretty much everybody back. Ryan Nemhard's not going to be hurt next year. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd like to think he'll be totally fine to start the season. So you're talking about a team that went to the Big East championship game against Villanova, but still, I don't know if I'm buying national championship contender.
1: Well, I just don't even, I don't even really understand top 10. Like, let me ask you this. If Jay Wright is still the coach at Villanova, do you think they're the best team in the big East coming into this year? Like, do you think they're number one in the big East Creighton or Villanova Creighton? Do you think Creighton no. is number one? If Jay Wright is still at Villanova? No, I agree. I think the only reason people are so sold on Creighton being number one is because Villanova lost Jay, Wright. That's like Villanova still has a pretty good team. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If Villanova ends up still being the best team in the big East next year. If Jay Wright was still the coach, I would have Villanova as my preseason. Number one.
0: Yeah. Creighton right now. I just looked it up. Creighton right now by Vegas is tied for 12th. They have the 12th best odds to win the national championship preseason.
1: Yeah. I have no interest in taking out Creighton futures. I, I don't even really care about that. Like I'm just shocked at how now don't get me wrong. Do I think Creighton's good? Do I think their top 25 team? Absolutely. Am I excited about the matchup between them and Texas? Because it's going to be probably two top 15 teams at that time going at it. Yes, I'm excited. But when people like, I legitimately heard national analysts going back and forth on a podcast a couple of weeks ago about whether or not they could be the number one team in the country. I just don't see that level of talent on the roster. And maybe like, do we see what Gonzaga just brought back? Well, like, there's three, four, five, six schools that you can easily say that about that are just clearly more talented than them. And even then it's like, I don't know what Creighton has proven in the last, however many years that would suggest to us that we should just be like, yeah, I'm sold that they're going to figure it all out and they're going to be a top five team, no doubt. That makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah, I, I'm 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 with you. I'm not trying to say that they're not going to be a a top twenty five team. I'm, exactly the same point. It's just I just don't see where this national championship final four shoe went. They they've well, made
1: well getting into yeah. like when you start talking about tournament success, it makes zero sense because they've been terrible in the tournament. So I don't even know they've, why they've I only made one
0: about. Sweet Sixteen since the field expanded to 64 and that was last year yeah i
1: don't know why people people don't really, that very much run.
0: flies under the radar that like when you think about dougie buckets and everybody that's been through creighton in the last decade plus and they have only been to one sweet 16 in the last however many years since the field expanded and that was last year
1: i don't know that it does fly under the radar because all i ever hear about is how bad the big east has been in the NCAA tournament and they're like the biggest culprit of it them and Xavier hasn't been good recently obviously in that regard either but like if you're talking about the teams that have had their chances to make a run, they're top of the list on the teams of the big East that have failed to do so. So yeah, I don't know why people are so sold on trusting them in the tournament for sure. But even beyond that, even if we're just getting into preseason rankings, I don't really get the love for them as a top five team in the country at all either, but no, I like too much Creighton talk. Well, but I mean, even if you look at the
0: experience on the Creighton team, I don't, they only have like two, I'm looking at, I just pulled up the roster. They have, Baylor Shireman's a senior, Francisco Farabello's a senior. Both of those guys are transfers. Sharif Mitchell's a junior, is a junior, but the two transfers are the only seniors. You're talking about a relatively young team, too. Well, and
1: that, that doesn't even bother me as much as just, like, we all watched them last year. They weren't, like, overwhelmingly talented last year. It's a lot of the same guys back. They've added some new contributors. Like, again, I'm not trying to crap on Creighton as being a bad team. They're clearly in my opinion, top two or three in the Big East without a doubt, and a top 20 team in the country without a doubt. But like when we get into putting them top five, I just don't really understand that at all.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, Rick. Um, okay, well... That felt that felt kind of good to vent on that one because I've had a lot of people ask me about Creighton in the last like three weeks, and I'm like, yeah.
1: Are there any other? Uh, there's not really any other Biggie storylines that have been popping up that have been bothering me. I was a little surprised Xavier was getting so much love as a uh, like I, people right after the season ended had him as a top twenty team. A lot of people ranking them, and since then I haven't really seen him in many top twenty fives. Period. Have we podcasted
0: since Jay retired? We don't need to get into it, but I don't think we have.
1: I think no, we haven't because it was right before I did the podcast with Adam Cohen.
0: The only one thing I will say about that, and this is not me having known anything. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew anything. I was sitting at dinner, and I saw Fantas' tweet, and I just about fell out of my chair. The one thing I will say, though, I've been around Villanova before, never as intimately as I was when I was covering them at uh, the Elite Eight down in San Antonio. But when I was down there, I mean, I got to talk to Jay a lot that week. I got to be around the program. just I was there en- enmeshed in it for 72 straight hours and every time I talked to Jay that week he just seemed very deliberate and very reflective and just really it was like he was soaking the moment up and he was did, just did you think that at the time you know what I what I thought at the time was that he was just really appreciating the team that he had because he knew that you know Colin Jermaine like this was a historic group of guys that he had you know, from being them, with them as freshmen, winning the national championship where they weren't getting a ton of playing time. You know, Jermaine didn't get a ton of playing time on that team to now making the Final Four. Like, I, I, the way I interpreted it that week was never that he was going to retire, but more so that I just felt like he was getting older and appreciating the guys that he had. And just looking at the roster, like, I knew kind of like where Chris Mack left Xavier and there was nothing left that next year in the first year, Travis Steele, like you knew that Jay was going to have a big rebuilding job this year. I think all of that to me, it was coming across that it was all hitting at him. Maybe I was reading way too much into it. And he was just tired from two, three, you know, three straight weeks on the road. That could very well be it too. But you know, you hear Jay, I watch his press conferences. I, I see him at Xavier. When they come to Xavier, I, you see him at New York and, and the big East, the Madison square garden. He's the Dean of the big East. Like Fanta always calls him. he, he's a guy that is always just so high key and he's in control of everything he does, but he never seemed so, uh, like I said, reflective as he did that week. And then when the news came out, I was like, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if he was like that because he knew, Hey, you know, this, this could be it, you know? Uh,
1: yeah. And I, I, like, I had seen you say that. And I thought that was interesting And I was wondering, like, you know, is that something that you look on and you're like, oh, maybe this was a sign or like, did you notice it in the moment? So that was interesting to hear. But I will say I for as much as people seem to like get annoyed by Jay and his, you know, all his positive tweets about the other teams after he beats them and everything like that. And that's annoying. I think he handled this like in one of the coolest ways you can possibly. (laughs) Right. You know, just just disappearing. Surprising everybody with it is cool for one, not doing the Coach K thing, especially when you're a guy like Jay Wright, who has meant so much to a university like that. Like, I mean, really completely built them back into a proud power in basketball again, won multiple titles over the last decade. I mean, like, if anyone was going to get their flowers, so to speak, other than Coach K – Like it's Jay Wright at this point. He has kind of been the guy over the last decade in college basketball. So to him to forgo all that and just say, I'm going to just walk off into the sunset without any of it was cool. But then even cooler than that, for him to make sure Kyle Neptune was getting that job and then leaving him with a team that is still going to be competitive this year. And I mean, not just like competitive in the big East, but if you told me Villanova is going to be in the lead eight again this year, that would not surprise me. Like they're talented enough to do that. I think so. To to n- not just be like, oh yeah, here this is the end of the line for me. The, these really talented senior class is going to be gone after this year. I'm just going to get out of it so I don't have to rebuild. It's like, no, he still has a pretty good team coming back next year too. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is the end of an era for some of those guys, but they're still a pretty impressive roster and a good and recruiting and class. Pam too. Whitmore is coming in this year is yeah. going to be probably the best freshman in the V. So like, he left Kyle Neptune a really good situation.
0: Yeah, and. I, when you talk about how he handled the situation as far as him retiring, then to hire Kyle within, what, a half hour, they announced that? I mean, I'm not, obviously, they had the whole thing set, but I'm just saying that, you know, he didn't retire. They do the search, the whole thing. I mean, if that if any of you subscribe to The Athletic, I think it was Dana O'Neill wrote it, just a fantastic article about all the behind the scenes, when he decided to do it, how it all went down, who he told. He didn't, really didn't tell anybody. Uh, even the team didn't know up until when the news broke. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought it was really, really slick, really cool of him to do that. I, I, I appreciated it. I thought it was great, and uh, you know, good for Jay. Just spend yeah. some time at the beach.
1: Yep. Uh, All right. I don't see any more questions, so I think people are either boy, I'm so, there's still like 40 people on here live, I guess, but um, I don't think. Let's go, Rick. Let's go. You have anything? You know, I will say. I'm looking at the outage map. Are you it back? Looks like, it looks like I might be back. All right. Well, that's good news. You can go home. You can uh, It looks you, like I might be. use back. your fridge. You can buy new uh, groceries, and you can get fresh beer since you drank them all last night before they got warm. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. All right. Well, well, I don't think we have anything else. We've been going for a while. You don't have any other uh, Big East storylines you want to get into, do you?
0: I'm good.
1: All right. Well, uh, in that case, let's just
0: wrap it up. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, I'm sure Rick and I will be back at some point this summer uh, to do something else, maybe toward the end of the summer when we have some more recruiting news, everything like that. But thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on the Musketeer Report podcast.